You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Okay, we are currently in a series right now that I am loving. I love this series. I don't think I've ever been in a church or a student ministry or a service that's ever done a series like this, which is really cool. But we're in a series called Head in the Clouds. Look at your neighbor, say Head in the Clouds. Head in the Clouds. What does that mean? Well, we are, we're in a series, it's a seven week series where we're talking about the, um, the best way or a great way to understand the flow of scripture. We're, we're shredding through the Bible and instead of doing what we typically do with scripture, which is we take one verse or we take one story and we stick it under a microscope and we try to discover what it means right there, what we're doing is we're taking a 30,000 foot view, a bird's eye view of the entire story of God's word. And in this series, we're just shredding through every single book, every single story of the, well, not every single story, that would take a long, that would be like a 32 week series. But we're talking about how the entire Bible is all coming together to tell one story. And that's God's love for a broken world and his plan to redeem us through Jesus. The whole Bible is telling that one story. And it's been such a good series so far. The first week we looked at the law. Somebody say the law. law. Which is the book's Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. And then my boy Eric did a phenomenal job in week two. Make some noise for Eric. (laughs) Eric took us through all of the scriptures that are lumped into the category of the nation or Israel, God's nation, God establishing his people. And that's books Joshua all the way through Esther. We went through every one of those. I loved it. I thought it was so cool. Did you guys like that message? It was awesome. And tonight we're gonna be diving into the third portion of scripture, which is known as the wisdom books. The wisdom books. And if you've ever read these books before, it's a totally different experience than reading the narrative books. Like in the law and in the, the, the nation books, it's like reading a story. It's like reading an action book. It's about kings and battles and prophets and people dying. Like it's crazy. Like the books are crazy. But they aren't, the, the, the wisdom books are different than that. And they're also different than books like in the New Testament that are like teachings of Jesus and the letters from Paul, um, the epistles to the churches. These books are mainly prayers, poems, um, they're observations, and they're truths about God's world and how to live in God's world. And so while other books in the Bible, when we read them, sometimes it feels really impersonal because we're looking from the outside inwards and we're reading about something that happened thousands of years ago, it's different. When you read the wisdom books, they are extremely personal. They're extremely personal because they show us that we are just like the people of ancient history. Like, did you know that people back then were just like us? They had emotions, they had jobs, they had dreams, they had pain, they had loss, they experienced depression, they experienced joy. We are just like them. We're people, humans, just like them. And so what we're gonna see tonight is how these wisdom books address how we live as humans in God's good world. And I can't wait to go through this. The wisdom books, it's all about Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So I wanna kick off tonight. I'm gonna read a passage from Job, and then we're gonna pray 
and we'll dive into greater detail about the wisdom books and what it means for us. But I want to start in Job chapter 4. And this passage, it's going to sound a little confusing, especially if you've never read Job before. But what I'm reading to you is the very end of Job. And if you know the story of Job, Job lost everything, right? He lost everything. And at the end, he has this amazing revelation of how amazing God is. And he, and he gets everything restored back to him double. And this is what he says to God. I love this. Job 42. Job answered God, I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who's muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purpose? That's God talking to Job. Who's second-guessing my purpose? I admit, Job says, I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. You told me, listen and let me do the talking. Let me ask the question. You give the answer. I admit I once lived on rumors of you, but now I have it firsthand from my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry. Job says, I'm sorry to God. Forgive me. I'll never do that again, I promise. I'll never live on the crusts of hearsay or the crumbs of rumors. Okay, I know that's deep and a little confusing, but we're gonna dive into what that means in just a second. But before we do, would you bow your heads, close your eyes. We're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us tonight. Father, I thank you so much that you are here and that we are here for you. I just wanna echo that song that we sang and that's our prayer tonight. That was our prayer at pre-service prayer and that's still our prayer tonight that Jesus, you are the main thing. You are what this is all about. And I thank you for this series, God, because we are discovering that you are not just the main thing now for us, but you have always been the main thing. Throughout all of the Bible, it's all pointing to the fact that, Jesus, you are everything. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to find Jesus in these wisdom books. That even though it's the Old Testament, it is still pointing to our Savior. So, Holy Spirit, wake us up. Any scales on our eyes that are keeping us from truth, wash them away and speak to every single one of us tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, now I know we're still technically in the Old Testament part of this series, but I wanna quickly fast forward over to a phrase that Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. You've probably heard this one before, but this is what Jesus says to us. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Do you like that verse right there? I like that verse. Like Jesus is letting us know, the first part I don't like. He's letting us know that we have a very real enemy and this enemy, uh, his main mission, his absolute goal in life is to make your life miserable, to steal, kill, and destroy from you and to get you to lose focus from God. But Jesus lets us know that's the enemy's plan, but here's what my main plan is. My main plan is to give you this, life abundant. Does anybody want life abundant? Yeah. I don't know about you, but I want me some life abundant. Like, I'll take some of that. I'll take an order of that. Jesus, life abundant. My name is Jackson. You can put it on the cup on the side. I'll take that. And the word life that Jesus uses is this word zoe. It's the Greek word zoe. And here's what zoe means. It's, it's the absolute fullness of life. 
both essential and ethical, life real and genuine, a life of active and vigorous devotion to God, blessed. And then the, de- the definition in the Greek actually includes the life that we're gonna receive in our resurrected body. So get this, this is crazy. Jesus is quite literally saying, if you come to me, I will give you the best version of life that is humanly possible. Oh, and not only in this life, but one day you're gonna die and I'm gonna give you a sweet resurrected body with a six pack and you're not gonna have chicken legs anymore. All my scrawny dudes in the house said amen. No more chicken legs in heaven, that's right. I'll take that. But that's not, that's not the end of it. He doesn't just say I'll give you Zoe life. He says I'll give you abundant life. What's that Greek word for abundance? Well, it's the word parasos. And here's what parasos means. It means over and above, more than is necessary, super added. That's a cool term, super added. Extraordinary, surpassing, and uncommon. So yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. Over the top life, extravagant, super added. Like this might date me a little bit. This may make me sound a little old, but Jesus wants to give you a McDonald's supersized life. Has anybody seen supersized me before? That's old. But Listen to me, both of these Greek words are totally amazing by themselves, but then Jesus takes Zoe and Parasos and puts them together to, to tell us that the life that he wants to give us is so great, like you can't even comprehend the life he wants to give you. And man, I don't know about you, but when I start to think of like, just imagine in my mind what abundant life looks like, that's a kind of fun thought experiment to do. Like, Have you ever thought about like, what is the most extravagant, crazy life that I could ever live? Have you ever thought that before as a kid? Some things that came to mind when I was doing this this week, I I remember as a kid, I don't know why, but this was like a talk we had all the time. I would imagine like one day, I'm gonna have a house so big that I'm gonna have Chick-fil-A in my house. That's the abundant life that I think of. Like Chick-fil-A, I don't have to go there, it's in my house. I have full-time staff constantly, just, we're, we're not even closed on Sunday. We're, we're open every day of the week at the Wilson house. Like, that's what, that's what comes to mind when I think of abundant life. I think of, like, some stuff. I think of, like, a garage that's big enough for not just a CrossFit gym, but also a half pipe. Because, like, I'm the Hannah Montana of, like, fitness. I, I, do, I do CrossFit and I skateboard. So, like, that's what I think of when I think of abundant life. And, I'm sure if you think of abundant life for you, you probably think of some, some different things. Some different things come to mind when you imagine this extravagant, over-the-top, super-added life. Like, that's a fun thing to think about. But the problem that all of us have to wrestle with in this life is that that isn't necessarily what Jesus meant by abundant life. Like, just extravagant life, like stuff. That's not necessarily what Jesus meant. And Jesus is not saying that he's against us having nice things. Like Jesus isn't mad at you for wanting a birthday present. He's not mad at you for liking something and pursuing that thing. In fact, like we know every good thing that we have, where did it come from? Came from God. That was that series we were in last time, not my own. Like every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights. God will supply your every need according to not your riches and glory, his riches and glory. So like we serve a really good father. God's not against you having desire. He's not against you having nice things. You're not a bad Christian if you want something. 
But that's not the main issue that we face when we talk about abundant life. The issue we can run into as believers is equating our view of abundant life to God's view of an abundant life. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. The issue we run into is we think that abundant life in our image is what God is going to give us in his image. But they look different. And what we're going to learn through these wisdom books tonight um, is that God's view of abundant life is actually so much better than what we could ever imagine abundant life looks like. Because I don't know about you, but when I think of abundant life, you know what I don't think of? I don't think of loss. I don't think of pain. I don't think of having to wait for things. That's not what comes to mind when I think of abundant life. We tend to pretty much box the good life into a life that's only easy, only fun, only what we thought it would turn out to be. And that is an abundant life. Like the abundant life Jesus has for us does include having fun. It does include rest and it does include having nice things, but it also includes the hard stuff. It also includes the hard stuff. And Jesus tells us this. Look at this, Matthew 16, 24. Jesus says this to his disciples. If anyone would come after me, look at this. Let him first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. So this is interesting. Look at this. I want you to lean in with me for a second. In John 10, where we started tonight, Jesus tells us that he is the only way to offer us the best version of life that's humanly possible. Life abundant, Zoe life. But then in Matthew 16, Jesus tells us that guess where abundant life starts? Abundant loss. You all did not get that. Abundant life starts with abundant loss. When you lay down your whole life for Jesus, that's where the abundant good life starts. I like this quote that I found from Joni Erickson Tada. She was a 30 year paraplegic and this is what she says about Jesus. She says, the cross is the center of our relationship with Jesus. The cross is where we die. We go there daily. It isn't easy. Normally, we would follow Christ anywhere, to a party, as it were, where he changes water into wine, to a sunlit beach where he preaches from a boat. But to the cross, we dig our heels. The invitation is frighteningly individual. It's an invitation to go alone. Look at this, this is so good. Suffering reduces us to nothing, but as Kierkegaard notes, God creates everything out of nothing. And everything which God uses, he first reduces to nothing. Okay, now I know that sounds uber depressing tonight. Are y'all okay though? Can we, can we, I've got good stuff. You just need to lean in with me tonight. I know it sounds super depressing, but we're gonna find out by the end of this journey as we go through the, the wisdom books that our ability to walk in abundant life, guess what? It's not dictated by what we have and it's not dictated by any circumstance that we walk through. And that's actually really good news for us because if you have a natural view of what abundant life looks like, then that means, guess what? You're only walking in the, in the abundant life when things are working out for you. But Jesus's view of abundant life is so big for us that we can be walking through loss we can be walking through pain, the hard stuff, which will come, and still walk in abundant life. Does that make sense? This is what Jesus offers us. And so we're going to look at the wisdom books, but we're not looking at all five. We're just going to look at three tonight. 
But all five, I said them already, but I'll say them again. Job, the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Okay, now I wanna give you just a tool really quickly. I think you should take notes and write this down. It'll help you in the future. But these are um, each of the books in one phrase, just kind of like summed up in one phrase. So Job is God's wisdom on suffering. The Psalms are God's wisdom on worship. Proverbs is God's wisdom, period. Ecclesiastes is God's wisdom on emptiness. And Song of Solomon is God's wisdom on sexuality. Okay. Now, we're not going to be spending any time in Song of Solomon tonight. And some of you are like, oh, praise God. Because if you've ever read it, it goes like PG-13, rated R real quick. Um, So we're not going to talk about that tonight. We're going to save that for the next series. So just get ready for that. But. We are going to be talking about Psalms, sorry, not Psalms, Proverbs. We're going to be talking about Ecclesiastes and Job tonight. But all of these three books, all five of them, but the three that we're talking about specifically, are trying to answer this question. How do you live a good life? How do you live, what Jesus is saying, an abundant life? How do you live a good life? The wisdom books explore how we live well in God's world. And what we're gonna find is so interesting. Each one of these books gives you a totally different answer to how you live the good life. And they actually seem like they contradict one another. But when you take a bird's eye view and you get every angle of what a good abundant life looks like, they all come together to paint this beautiful picture to us of how we live in that. So are y'all ready to dive into these books? I I know we're really in deep tonight, but can you hang with me? Okay. First one that we're going to talk about tonight is Proverbs. Somebody say Proverbs. Now, if you've never taken the time to read Proverbs, you should. You should read it this week. You should check it out. There are some parts in Scripture that, if I'm just being honest, they are confusing. Like, they don't make a lot of sense. Um, You have to do a lot of research and read commentaries and hear people preach about them to to get a good understanding of these books. Proverbs is not this book. (laughs) Proverbs is amazing. Proverbs is like that one friend. Do you have that one friend that you can go to and they've got like advice for everything? That's what this book is about. Proverbs um, is simple. It's straight to the point. It cuts right to the chase and it gives us exactly what we need to to know. And this book is literally full of proverbs. It's full of proverbs. What's a proverb? Well, it's a short saying in general use, stating a general truth or piece of advice. So this book is literally a book of advice, book of wisdom. That's what it's about. And it's got wisdom for everything, how to work, how to be a good friend, how to use your mouth, hello, how to be in relationship, how to relate to God. It's got a a proverb advice for everything. I wanna give you a handful of these really quickly in case you haven't read Proverbs before, Proverbs 12, 15 says this, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Oh, it's pretty simple, pretty cut, cut to the chase. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, the words of, of, the, of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 4, 23, I know y'all have heard this one before. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And the last one is this, Proverbs 17, 22. It says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Okay, so in the book of Proverbs, when you read the whole thing, 
you'll see the author do two different things. The first thing they're doing is they are describing this is what wisdom looks like and this is what foolishness looks like. It's pretty simple. It's just compare and contrast. This is what wisdom looks like and this is what foolishness looks like. And the second thing that this book is doing is not just telling us what it looks, looks like, but it's telling us that there's a cause and effect to wisdom and foolishness. So the book will tell you, hey, this is what wisdom looks like, and when you live by wisdom, this is gonna happen. And then this is what foolishness looks like, and when you live by foolishness, this is what's gonna take place in your life. And what it's telling us is that we live in a moral universe. We live in a moral universe. Now, this is actually totally opposite, totally against the grain of what our world believes about the universe. Because our world says that we don't live in a moral universe. Like our culture and society could not be more opposite from the book of Proverbs and what it's telling us. And we've talked about this before at New Song Students. It's been about a year though. So I thought it'd be good to, to go back and talk about this because our world runs on this mindset, this philosophy called postmodernism. Postmodernism. And I'm, I know we're going deep tonight, but this is all really important and you need to hear it and you need to understand it. What is postmodernism? Well, it's the understanding and belief that there's no such thing as absolute truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Truth belongs to the individual and is only experiential. So postmodernism is a mindset that believes that you get to decide what truth is. You get to decide. You decide what you want, truth is in you, and you need to find it. And we hear this all the time in, the, in our world, and what it's led people to do is go on a truth quest. So if it feels good to you, well, you should do it, because that's your truth. If you think that's who you are, well, who am I to tell you any differently, because I don't know if there's any truth, so you should do that. We're all on this truth quest to find truth, but the first thing you gotta know about postmodernism is that it actually contradicts itself. Are you following me tonight? Postmodernism contradicts itself because listen to me, the idea and the belief that there is absolutely no truth is an absolute truth. <laughs> like how do you know that there's absolutely no truth? You saying that there's absolute no truth is an absolute truth. So there has to be truth. So the starting place from a person who believes in this is already on the wrong foot because you're saying an absolute truth by saying there is no absolute truth. But here's where this thinking gets harmful for us. This thinking is harmful because then it allows us to see the truth we wanna see and avoid the truth we don't wanna see. And here's what Proverbs tells us about that. Here's why that's important and harmful to us. If I choose the truth I wanna see and ignore the truth I don't wanna see. Well, Proverbs lets us in on this fact that you can try to live by your truth, but you still live in God's universe. I'm gonna say that again. You can try to live by your truth, but you still live in God's universe. And so God has a way in which he has orchestrated the universe to run. And so there is a cause and effect to truth. There's a cause and effect to wisdom and foolishness. Like, look at this. Proverbs 13, 20 says this. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So if you're a person who believes in postmodernism and you don't think there's absolute truth 
or any truth. You might be a person who looks at that passage and you're like, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that passage. In fact, I think I can be friends with whoever I want to be friends with and they're not going to affect me. Well, you know what God says to that? He says, that's cool. You can live however you want to live, but you still live in my universe. So like, no matter how hard you try, you will turn into the friends that you surround yourself with. Like, that's the proverb. That's the truth. You surround yourself with the wise, you will become wise. You surround yourself with the foolish, guess what? You will become foolish. Proverbs assumes this, that there's a right and a wrong. Our world assumes that there is no right and there is no wrong. Proverbs assumes that everything in our world was created by God, and so it functions according to how God designed it. But our world assumes that our world wasn't created. It just happened. And so since our world just happened over a long period of time, you can choose what you want truth to be. You can be God and you can decide. So I know we just went really deep into that, but I wanna go back to that question that the book of Proverbs is asking. How do you live in a good life? How do you walk an abundant life? Well, our world tells us this. You will live an abundant life when you do what you think is good. When you follow your truth, you will experience an abundant life. But the book of Proverbs answers that question differently. It says, no, you live a good life when you order your life around God's wisdom. You will live a good life when you tap into the wisdom of God. But not only that, it goes a step further because that means, okay, if I just practice the wisdom of God, that means I don't even have to have God. I'll just do what he says is right. But it goes even further. The book of Proverbs starts with the fact that it's not just about doing wise things. It's actually about something else. Proverbs 1.7. And this is what we talked about in pre-service prayer today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's the starting place to wisdom, to an abundant life. It's the fear of the Lord. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It says that the fear of the Lord is the starting place to a good life. That's the starting place. Now, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. It's having a right view of who God is. It's a humble posture that understands the Lord is God. I am not God. He's God. I'm not. And according to God's word, we start to walk in an abundant life, a good life, when we humbly admit that God gets to choose the way the world works and I don't. I'm not God. The good life starts actually from a posture of just trusting that God, if that's how you said this, this universe works, I trust you. I believe that your wisdom is better. But this is, where it gets, this is where it gets interesting. And this is where we're gonna lead to the second book. Because according to that thought process, that means that, okay, if I just order my life by doing all of the, th all of the things God says, then my life's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna have the good life because I've done all of the right things. But this is where the book of Ecclesiastes comes into play and Job. Because I'm not, I'm not gonna spend too much time in Ecclesiastes, but if you've ever read the book before or you, if you've never read it before, you should definitely read it this week. It is a very fun read. But again, according to that thought process of just reading Proverbs, if I just read Proverbs and I think, okay, if I just do the right thing, if I just do all of the wisdom it tells me, then I'll have a good life, Nothing bad will ever happen to me. But when we take a bird's eye view, get our head in the clouds high enough to see the book of Ecclesiastes, it actually has some hard realities 
some wake-up calls, some gut checks that it wants to give every single one of us, not to harm us, but to actually prepare us for life. So there's three main themes in the book of Ecclesiastes. Are y'all hanging in with me tonight? (laughs) I know this is deep, y'all. The first one is this, the mark of time. Ecclesiastes is is letting us know about the mark of time. I wanna read this to you. Chapter one, I'm gonna skip around a couple verses, but here's what it says. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to come among those who come after. And you know, this is interesting. We live in such an interesting time in history where any normal person can become famous because of social media, because of technology. Like any other time in history, like normal people, you're just a normal person for the rest of your life. (laughs) But here today, you can go viral. You can be known by thousands and millions in a day. You can go from being completely unknown to being viral and famous in one day. And I think that kind of accessibility to being known has caused us in our world to think that being known is what makes us successful. Like, what if I'm never known? Is my life even worth it? What if I'm never known? Because we've placed so much importance on being seen. Like some of us post Instagram stories, not because we even want to, we just want people to see us. We want people to acknowledge that we exist. And it's not necessarily bad to wanna be known, but Ecclesiastes, what it's doing is it's giving us this kind of gut check to remind us that our life, our single life is a blip. Like it's just a blip. When you think about the generations that have come and gone, when you think about how how the earth is forever, when you think about how in the span of eternity, our life is but a vapor. When you think about that, um, it's kind of depressing, right? It's a little bit depressing when I think about how small my life is in view of eternity. Well, it gets worse. Because the second theme in Ecclesiastes is this, we're all going to die. (laughs) Somebody said amen. Amen. We're all going to die. And here's what it says in Ecclesiastes 9, the same destiny ultimately awaits everybody, whether you're righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious, there is nothing ahead but death anyway. So no matter who you are, what you believe, what kind of life do you've lived, how terrible you were, how good you were, it doesn't matter. We all have to deal with this thing called death. Every single one of us. And the last main point that Ecclesiastes wants to wake us up to is life's random nature. Here's what it says, Ecclesiastes 8:14. Here's something that happens all the time that makes no sense at all. Good people get what's coming to the wicked and bad people get what's coming to the good. In other words, bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I tell you, this makes no sense at all. It's smoke. Now, it seems a little confusing, right? It seems a little confusing that Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, it almost seems like they contradict one another. It seems like they're telling two different stories. Like Proverbs is telling us, if we live according to God's wisdom, life will go well for us. And Ecclesiastes is telling us, uh, you're all gonna die, life is but a vapor, and life is random. That's what Ecclesiastes is telling us. But that's actually not what the message is trying 
to tell us. Like the message of Ecclesiastes is not, hey, life is meaningless, so you should just go do whatever you want. Go, go live crazy, YOLO, you only live once, live your life, live your truth, you're just gonna die anyways. That's not the message of Ecclesiastes. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, it says the exact same thing that Proverbs tells us. It says this, hey, at the end of the day, it's still better to fear God and to trust his commandments. That's what Ecclesiastes says. And the message that it's trying to get us to, to, to believe is that just like Proverbs says, if you live by God's wisdom, you will experience a good life. Well, we can start to think if I can just master life, then I'm gonna have a good life. But Ecclesiastes lets us know, hey, you will never master life. And so what we can do because of that truth is I can live life with an open hand. I can live a life of just trusting God. And guess what? That breathes life into every other, other area of my life. Ecclesiastes talks about how, hey, you should enjoy God. You should enjoy your friendships. You should enjoy a good meal with your family. You should enjoy the sun shining on your face because you only get this one life and this life is a gift. This is what Ecclesiastes is telling us. And the last book, which is the craziest one of all, is Job. Somebody say Job. Job. Now, Job is different than Proverbs and it reads different than Ecclesiastes because it's a narrative. And Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, they read like teachings and advice, but the book of Job starts off with us being in the heavenly realms and Satan approaches God and talks to him about a righteous man named Job. And Satan approaches God and says, hey, there's this guy, Job. And God's like, yeah, Job, he's righteous. He only serves me. He's been serving me his whole life. He loves me. And, and Satan challenges Job. Look what he says. Job 1.9, Satan retorted. So do you think that Job does all of that out of the sheer goodness of his own heart? Why no one has ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. Bless everything he does. He can't lose. But look at what he says right here. What do you think would happen if you reached down and took everything away that is his? Job would curse you right to your face. That's what. So Satan believes that if God was allowed, allowed Job to lose everything in his life, he thinks that Job would curse God and run away. So God does this crazy thing where he allows Satan to take everything from Job. And that's exactly what happens. Job in one day loses everything. He loses his family, his crops, his animals, his health. He loses everything in two chapters. And the next 36 chapters of Job are Job's three friends trying to make sense of everything. It's literally them just arguing Job and saying like, Job, there has to be a reason. Like you must have created some, you must have committed some terrible sin. Like God wouldn't do this randomly. What did you do? And every time they argue Job, Job comes back and says, no, 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 I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know why this is happening. And Job, uh, he, he was, he was a man who was innocent. And I love what the Bible project says about this. It says, when we search for reasons for suffering, we tend to either simplify God like the friends did or like Job, we accuse God. But based off of limited evidence, the book is inviting us to honestly and prayerfully bring our pain to God and our trust to him. 
and his ultimate knowledge of mercy. I wanna invite the the band to come up as, as we get ready to close. This is exactly what Job does at the end of the book. Towards the end of the book, Job lets God have it. Like he gives God the most honest prayer he could possibly do and he's angry, he's upset, he's disappointed. Nothing makes sense to him about why he's experiencing this pain and God responds, but his response is so interesting because God doesn't tell Job what happened. God never tells Job about the conversation that he had with the devil. He never tells Job about how he allowed all of that to happen. What God does is he gives Job a bigger understanding. He takes Job's head and he puts him in the clouds and he gives him a bigger picture of who he is. Look at this. This is God's response to Job. After all of this, all of this loss, Job 38, he says, why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet, stand tall. I have some questions for you and I want some straight answers. I love this. Look at what, look at what God says. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me since you know so much. Who decided its size? Certainly you know. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundation poured? Who set its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise, and who took charge of the ocean when it gushed like forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. So God doesn't give Job the answers. In fact, at the end of the book of Job, we know that God gives Job everything back he lost. He doubles it, restores it completely, but he never knows what happened at the end of the story. But listen to this. Job never learned, but God told Job, the, he never told, he didn't tell Job the reason behind his suffering. The only thing God told Job was the reason why he could trust God. God didn't talk about how bad things were to Job. God reminded Job of how good he was, how he was the one who created the stars, how he's the one who knows the infinite realities of the universe. And, and this is where we discover, this is so cool, that all three books, they tell it differently, but they're all communicating the same answer to the question, how do you live a good life? Here's the answer. Abundant life is only available to those who trust God. That's how you enter into abundant life. So New Song students, I just wanna ask you like, how are you doing with that? I know this was not a very preachy message. It was really teachy tonight. But I wanna ask you the same question that all of these books are asking you. How do you live a good life? Well, here's how. You trust God's ways. What is Proverbs telling us? When you live by God's ways, His wisdom, His rules, what he, what he says is right. He's asking you, will you trust him? Will you trust his ways? Ecclesiastes, when life feels bleak, when life feels meaningless, even in those moments, will you trust that God has a way, that God has given this moment meaning? When life is dark and you've lost everything like Job did, will you trust God? Will you trust him? This is the invitation because we all experience amazing gifts from God, but in this life, Jesus says, you will face trouble. And Jesus is asking you the same question. Will you trust me? When the world is going in the opposite direction, will you trust my ways? 
when school, when your school seems so dark and it seems like you can't do anything to change it, will you trust me? That prayer works. That prayer changes things, that I wanna give you boldness. When you experience immense loss, will you trust that God can take anything and everything and turn it around for your good, for those who love him? I wanna invite you to bow your hands and close your eyes as you